0: Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife Jill here at Colonial Church in Saint Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. You've got your Bibles open with me to First Peter. We're going to be continuing the series we're in called Epistle. We're studying the the New Testament letters. It's amazing how our New Testament Bible is mostly made up of letters. Letters to the church, letters to specific churches, and letters to people. Uh, For example, Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. There's examples of this, and we're going to study today Peter's letters To the church, first and second Peter. So here we go. First Peter chapter two and verse one says this so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look at this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we're grateful that it always helps us, shapes us, molds us, calls us out to be who we're called to be. God, we're grateful for your word today. Would you speak to us? Would you give us fresh revelation? God, would you deposit something in our hearts that'll change our lives forever today? God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in church. Lord, to be amongst your people, Lord, to be home. Lord, we thank you that this is our spiritual home in your house. And so we're grateful for your word today, Lord. We pray for Colonial Kids Father, we pray for the leaders that are running after them right now. We bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of the message today is this. You can write it down. Be holy, be blessed. Peter's letter to the church. The last couple of weeks, I've been mostly in Paul's letters. And we talked a little bit about Paul over basically two weeks. We did a little deep dive into Paul. By the way, if you're coming into the series for the first time, this is a little bit more teaching than preaching, okay, in this series. Hopefully in all of our series and all of our messages, a little bit of both, but in this series specifically, this is more teaching than preaching. We've been looking at some of the authors of these letters and today we need to look and talk about for a moment Peter. Peter, man, Peter gives me some hope, Peter seems to have been a natural leader, commanding respect by sheer force of personality, it seems. But it's interesting, if you read your Bibles, maybe you've never thought about this or never seen this before. But when the disciples are listed, Peter is always first. He's always listed as first. I want you to think about this for a moment when it comes to Peter. Peter was personally chosen by Jesus. You have been personally chosen by Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. You and I can can know Jesus. He was a simple guy with nothing to offer, yet Jesus chose him. I'm going to flip it for you. You've got nothing to offer God. I've got nothing to offer Jesus, but somehow in his grace, somehow in his goodness, Jesus has chosen you and Jesus has chosen me as well. Later on in the early church, Peter, his influence was enormous and acknowledged by everyone. By virtue of his position, he was easily the most powerful figure in the Christian community in Jerusalem in the early church. And his energetic preaching, his ardent prayer, bold prayers of healing and wise direction confirmed all the trust had been placed in him by God. But it's the way that Peter handled himself in that position of power that's even more amazing. He stayed out of the centre. He didn't wield power, but maintained subordination to Jesus Still, follow Jesus no matter what, despite charismatic personality, despite, you know, temptation probably to try to take over and say, Well, I'm the one that Jesus said was going to run the church, so I'm running things now. He didn't do that. He stayed out of the center, stayed out of the spotlight, made it all about Jesus. Peter is truly a breath of fresh air, and Peter should give us all hope. In fact, he's called the apostle of hope. I love that. Because he's called the Apostle of Hope. And when I look at Peter, man, I get hope. I wanted to give us a few just really interesting distinctions between the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle to the Gentiles, the leading Apostle of the, the New Testament church, took the, the gospel to the Gentiles, but Peter was the chief Apostle in Jerusalem. He was the one that stayed in Jerusalem and was there with the believers. But some, some interesting distinctions here between these two guys. First of which is this, Paul was highly educated. Peter wasn't educated at all. Paul was pro- from a prominent family with a background, with a name, from a tribe. Peter was a nobody. Paul came from an established business family with a skilled trade, would have would have done the same thing as his father did and, and, and his, probably his father before that. And so he came into the world. Paul came into the world with established foundation of business and economic security, yet Peter was a struggling fisherman. But God used him. God would use him. Paul knew scripture and Jewish faith inside out. Peter probably knew more or less nothing except what the culture at the time had transferred to him. As a kid, but it was Peter that was involved in all the amazing miracles. It was Peter that walked on the water, and has been the only one who's walked on the water since, until Kelly Slater came along. (laughs) Peter was the disciple that went everywhere with Jesus, made all the errors. And would go on to do something incredible, be the first apostle, the rock that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be built on. But I want you to think about something about Peter. No education, no name, no pedigree, no background, no seminary degree. God would use him to reach the the people in the place where all the background, all the pedigree, all the education was the most important thing. God sends Peter or uses Peter in Jerusalem. God takes Paul and with all of his pedigree, all of his background sends him to a place where they don't care about any of it. But here's the point. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how much education you have. God can use anyone. God will use anyone. He can take you and He can put you exactly where He needs you to be and He will use You and me, God will use, can use, often does use anyone. And if God used Peter, if God used Paul, with a heart set on and devoted to God, all it takes is surrender, obedience. God will use you in powerful ways. That is a word for someone today. You're in here and you've disqualified yourself from the call of God because of you thinking you aren't enough. Peter proves to us. His very life, his very example. There's a reason that God used Peter. And I believe it's also speak to us today. So, what are some of the key themes? Okay. First and second Peter, if you want to write these down, go ahead. First is this Chris, Christian suffering and purpose. Peter will address this issue. There was suffering happening, there was persecution happening at the time. First Peter 4 and verse 12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised at this. So he addresses that um, eternal judgment is another theme. Second Peter 3 in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's talking about what's coming, God, God's final plan, what will take place. And we talked about that with Thessalonians and also Corinthians. It says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Peter would have known about this, having walked with Jesus for so long? And sometimes we wonder, I wonder what's going to happen. Peter tells us exactly what's going to happen. And he was there. He walked with Jesus. He would have heard him say it with his own words. The day of the Lord. Other things that are in this letter is principles on how to live married. Instruction is in there for for how we can live our lives as as married people, as instruction for wives in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. There's instruction as well for husbands in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Okay, let's keep going. When was this written? The letter was written around 67 AD. Okay, so a little bit later than some of Paul's um, first letters. And it's coming at a time where there is rising tension in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem where the church is being persecuted. The Roman occupation is causing problems for for Christianity. Christianity is struggling at that point. The people are suffering. And so wouldn't it be so of God to have Peter write to the church to settle people down and to help people? Let me show you a few key verses and some of these are going to jump out at you because you've you've prayed over these verses, you've written them down, you've claimed them for your own life. Let me show you 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 says, "Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you." Look at this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You seen that verse before? Peter's writing to the church that's got anxiety, that's anxious, that's wondering, that's suffering. And so when we're wondering and we're suffering, we can take these words from Peter as words from God. Now, here's another one, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, "...but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness." And into the marvelous light. The reason that that verse in context is so important because Peter's writing to people that are away from the temple, that are away from the house of God, that are away from the priesthood, even. He says, No, no, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Come on, somebody. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim. There's a reason that you're out there. There's a reason that you're out in the outermost parts proclaiming the gospel because you are his people there, Peter says. And a key verse in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says, But do not overlook overlook this one fact, beloved, that you that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. There's a verse for your neighbor that you've been trying to get to church for years. Claim that verse, speak that verse over him, pray it over him because God doesn't wish that any should perish, but that should all should reach. Repentance. Okay, so what is this letter about? What are the main things? What is Peter driving home to the church? He reminds the church, number one, write this down you've been saved to live a holy life. If you've ever wondered what 1st and 2nd Peter is about, and one of the main reasons that this letter exists and still is a blessing to the church today is as a reminder for us as believers that we've been saved. Like sometimes I feel like that just needs to be preached a little bit. We need a good old fashioned reminder. Blow the cobwebs out. You've been saved to live a holy life. This is the 11.15 a.m. service. I'm done preaching after this. So I'm just going to let it all go. You've been saved to live a holy life. It's in 1 Peter 1. Peter gets straight to it. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says how to do it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Look at this. In all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holiness is not something we talk about much anymore, but isn't something that we should be afraid of either. And we shouldn't shy away from. But sometimes when it comes to holiness, I'll be honest this morning, sometimes it's just like, man, sometimes it just, it's like hard. How do, I, how, do I, how do I live a holy life? Holy like God, how do I attain that? How do I do that? But Peter t- shows us exactly how it's done. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace. Here's the truth about living holy lives. You can't do it while you're looking down at your problems. You can't do it when you're looking down at your struggles. You'll never do it if you're looking down at how worthless you may think you are. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. And it's when we have our eyes set on Jesus, man, it's so much easier to live a holy life. It's so much easier to pursue Jesus when our eyes are set fully on the grace of God. Peter says, You've been saved to live a holy life. Look at that. Focus on that. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed. To you, See, there's no one who's had a greater revelation of grace than Peter. There's never been anyone that's ever had a greater revelation of what grace looks like. But Peter says, you also have it. You've also been given it. It's in 1 Peter 1 verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. I want you to think about this for a moment. The grace that you have was decided upon way before you ever came into the picture. That blows me away before I took my first breath before I lived any of my life, before my, my, the generations ever came along, even before me. It was prophesied a long, long time ago. God decided in his sovereignty, in his, salva- in, in his perfect plan, that he would decide that the grace would be mine as well. Now I want you to think about your life. The grace that you have, the salvation, concerning this salvation, he says, and the grace that was to be yours. That was decided upon a long time ago. That's the salvation that we have. That's the joy that we can think about. And so as we go about trying to live our holy lives, we just got to remember, man, we have grace. I have met with Jesus. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, I didn't used to have this. But now I do by the grace of God in my life. So number one, what is the... the, the chief apostle to the church in Jerusalem say, you've been saved to live a holy life, to display the goodness of God. Set your hope fully on him. Number two, he says this, suffering is actually a real blessing. Like, whoa, whoa. say that again? Could Peter's theology be a little, we can tell now he didn't go to seminary. I mean, you're a Christian. Everything should be perfect. Listen to K-Love. It's great. (laughs) My life's good. Everything's great. I'm blessed. No! People are being persecuted. People are being killed for their faith. People are being run out of town because they say they're Christians. It's in 1 Peter 3 verse 13. He says, now... Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What? That can't be in there. Surely, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna suffer for the gospel, if, if you're gonna if if you're gonna get you know run out of town because you say, how could you be blessed? Gee, uh, Peter's letting us in. He's showing us something. He's saying to follow the master means also possibly that you'll suffer like the master did. Not through crucifixion. That's when people take it too far. No one needs to get crucified again, thank God. But if you suffer for the sake of the gospel, for righteousness, then be blessed today because you get to fully identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is amazing. That's what Peter says. If you experience suffering, to suffer for the sake of Jesus is a privilege. And sometimes we can read that and be like, well, you know, this, the early church was going through that, and that was a really tough time, and, you know, um, kingdoms were falling down, the Roman Empire, all that sort of stuff. This is actually real for us today. Absolutely. This is closer than we know today. And you might be experiencing this today, or you may have experienced this in the past. You ever felt like people didn't understand you because of your faith? You ever felt like people didn't listen to you because you're a Christian? People didn't include you? Maybe you missed out on some big work opportunity because you're a Jesus follower. Maybe you've been abused because you're a Christian, yelled at, not treated right because of your faith. This is Christian suffering. But Peter says this is privileged suffering in the kingdom of God. Be blessed. I've talked before about my journey to faith. Got saved at the age of 19. Radically saved. I was just a good old pagan kid from the streets of Sydney, Australia. Didn't know God. Never grew up in a church. Didn't understand faith at all. But what I sometimes don't share is after I said yes to Jesus... After I put my faith in Jesus and I was going to church and I was doing all the stuff and I was on fire for the Lord, so happy in my faith, but there were people from my old life that I was still close to that didn't like it. Because I'd become a Christian, I was in a sense exiled. I was in a sense rejected. I was in a sense cast out because I was a believer, but this is what I knew. It was because I was a hope-filled, spirit-filled, praise God, Christian person who just loved Jesus. But here's the truth. Just because you become a a Christian doesn't mean everyone's going to be happy about it. And suffering is actually a real blessing. The Apostle Peter says this, he says, if it happens to you, if this happens to you, as you're living out your faith, as you're zealous and you, you, you're, you're passionate about the things of God, if suffering comes your way, count it a blessing. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. When it comes your way, understand that you're identifying with Jesus, that you're suffering. in It's blessed suffering. When you leave everything every day to follow Jesus and people don't get it, be blessed. When you tell that special someone that you want to honour the Lord and wait until marriage and they leave you because you want to live for Him, be blessed. When you choose obedience to Christ and people will trash your name and your decisions, be blessed today. Because this is suffering with the Master. Suffering for the Master is a blessing, Peter says. When you decide that going to church and being passionate about the things of God and is more important than anything else and people hate you for it, be blessed. Be blessed. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins. We were singing about this this morning. The Son of man of sorrow, son of suffering. We're singing. That's our God, the one who suffered for us. So what a joy, what a privilege, what an amazing opportunity when someone rejects you You can just remind yourself, man, that means I'm with Jesus. I suffer alongside Jesus today when that happens, if that comes into my life. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey Look at this. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why baptism is so important because it's public. Because it's a declaration of the world. It's, it's the greatest commercial of your life that you're a Jesus follower when you get water baptized. Just recently, me and my friend Jason were, this is probably going back a few months actually, we got a chance to catch up with Biju Thampi, who's a great friend of ours now and past, uh, pastors a church in India and leads an amazing ministry that we support as a church called Vision Rescue. And um, we love Biju so much and he's so awesome. Uh, we were out hanging out with him, and we started talking about church. He was asking me about church, and he was sort of like, hey, how did baptisms go recently? Because we just had them. And I was like, man, it was so good. And I was like, what's baptisms like in India? What's it like there? And I love Bijou. It's just like, he's like, well, Matt, let me tell you, it's very important. And I was just like, really? And he's just like, yeah, it's, it's actually, he said it's actually kind of massive. And I inquired a little more, and I was just like, what do you, what do you mean? And he said in, in, the, in the social system in India, because of the persecution, because of the, the, the people being rejected for their faith in Jesus Christ, if you, if you get water baptized, it goes on your government papers. And he actually pulled out his phone and he, and he sent me a text, he showed me a text message from a friend of a person that just got baptized in India and, he, and they sent him their papers. And he actually showed me It was like looking at a citizenship paper that showed water baptised Christian faith. And he was just like, Matt, but you need to understand. When people get water baptised, what that means for them. It means absolute certainty that there's going to be economic loss in their life. Job opportunities are going to go down to almost nothing. The the, the, the circumstances of their relational life mean that it's going to completely change. They might be cut off from their family altogether never allowed to speak to them again, never allowed to associate anyone who would then would associate with them. It was like a bad thing. So people would, wouldn't associate with you anymore because you became a Christian. And I just said to Biju, I was like, man, that's, that's, that's insane. I go, what does that mean? He's just like, he's like, man, these people, they don't care. And I was like, what? He goes, they've met Jesus. They've had a revelation of grace. And they're looking at Jesus. They've met the master and they've become a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't matter to them what happens anymore. If it means they can't see family anymore, they have Jesus. If it means they can't get the job opportunities, they have Jesus. These people are passionate about Jesus. He started telling me, I started to get all emotional. I was like, man, this is amazing. And sometimes I feel like I'm being persecuted when I gotta wait another five minutes in the (laughs) drive-through. It's a public profession of faith that may lead to suffering. But when you get a revelation that you're suffering for Jesus and you identify with Jesus, then it reminds you all over again that you're with Jesus. And that's when everything changes for the believer. Peter says to the church, hey guys, hard times for Jesus' sake may come. Be blessed. If you're struggling and you're feeling persecuted and you're, 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 you're struggling because you're away from God, it's okay, be blessed. You feel misunderstood and exiled from the community. It's okay because you are still blessed. Smile because you're suffering with the master. It's powerful. It's wonderful. Peter was there in every moment with Jesus. On every occasion when he was betrayed, when he was beaten, when he was spat upon, when he was ran out of town, when he was slandered, when he was talked about. And eventually he was crucified although he was innocent. Peter knew what it all looked like because he was there. He saw it. He felt it. He was right alongside Jesus and he denied Jesus as well. This is the outworking of the grace of God. And then we see later in the Gospel of John, I was reading this morning, there's this moment after Jesus has been resurrected, after Jesus is is. Uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, He appears to the seven disciples. I can't imagine what Peter was feeling at this mo- this moment. He's denied Jesus. He's lost his Jesus. He's probably his best friend, the person he's done life with for years, and it's all ended in this devastating moment. And what does Jesus do for Peter? Doesn't cast him out. Doesn't reject him doesn't pass him over and give someone else the title. You know what he does? He shows up on a beach and makes him breakfast. There's this amazing story. You'll have to go and read it, but he says, throw the nets over that side. John says to Peter, this is the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, runs up, and there's this moment, amazing moment that, that in the church we call the reinstatement of Peter. The reinstatement, I love it. But this is, this is grace. You've got to catch this. This is the outworking of grace. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you, remember, you know this moment? He says, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course I love you. I ask him again, second time, do you love me? He's like, yes, of course. And then he gives him instruction on what to do next, to, to feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And he asks a third time. And this is the reinstatement of Jesus. You ever wondered... Why he asked him three times. It would be easy for us to think because Jesus needed convincing that Peter was really going to do it properly this time. Because of all the mistakes he'd made, you know, because of all the st- times he'd messed up. You know, it had nothing to do with Jesus knowing anything about Peter's love for him. It had everything to do with Peter getting it in his heart and being fully convinced that Jesus loved him. That he asked him three times. This is the outworking of grace in our lives. And can I just encourage you, friend, the guy that shouldn't have had come within a bull's roar of even being a Christian is the guy that starts the church. That's grace in the kingdom of God. You feel like you haven't done enough? You feel like you've made mistakes? You feel like you've disqualified yourself from ever doing it? Grace. You're the perfect candidate. You got exactly the qualifications for the grace of God in your life and my life. Come on, would you stand with me? Suffering is actually a real blessing. And we're saved to live this holy life, but the only way that it's gonna happen is when we have our eyes set on Jesus. So as the team comes back up, here's what I'd love to do. i just love to pray for you. You know, Jill and I were talking about this message and we were talking about how it might apply and you know, we were always sort of thinking about the burden for these messages and how people might receive them and I really felt like the Lord spoke to kind of both of us. It was just like, there might be people in here today. You might be in here today. And you've said, okay, I'll, I'll be a part of this thing. I'll raise my hand, I'll become a Christian and, 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 I'll, and I'll be a part of this. But you haven't actually had the revelation or believed yet that God could actually choose you to take it further. This is the, this is the, the, the Peter anointing right here. That God actually wants to speak to you and show you and choose you that you would actually help take the church forward but it takes one thing. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that despite whatever, despite the past, despite the, the things that you think have disqualified you, there is grace. This is the redemptive power of the love of God in our lives. It's not like the love that we have for each other. It's God's love. There's redemption in His love, which means the moment we accept His love, we are redeemed and able to do what He asks us to do. But we've got to believe it. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, just giving people a moment, this is what I just would love if you feel like you need to respond in this moment. But you're just like, man, I, I feel disqualified. I feel like there's no way God could use me. I feel like I, I'm not skilled enough. I feel like I don't have what it takes to actually do something for God. I wonder if you would be bold enough today just to let me pray for you and just lift up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I feel like I don't have what it takes, but if you're telling me that God could use me, I'll, I'll, I want to I have faith for that. Come on, you just lift up your hand. I'm believing in this moment, God's going to speak to people, becoming evangelists, becoming teachers of the Bible, becoming spirit-filled believers that'll build up the church becoming extensions of grace to neighborhoods. I believe God's raising up soul winners right now. Holy Spirit, you see all the hands that are raised. And we know that there's no way we could do this without you, Holy Spirit. So just like you came on the apostles and you came down and you empowered God's people, would you do that again right now? Would You give people the strength and the courage and the wherewithal to to trust You, Lord, to choose today that it doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what we have done or haven't done, but through God's redemptive power and love that we can be redeemed and we can be used and we can be called. God, we thank You for that power that now lives in us. May we believe it in Jesus' Name. Come on, let's worship together one more time.